0: Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and Film Intuition on social media and Letterboxd, and this is Watch With Jen. Today, I am so pleased to welcome Kristen Lopez back to the podcast. One of our very first guests, Kristen, who is currently the film editor of The Rap and is also the creator of the classic film podcast Ticklish Business, has worked as an entertainment journalist for more than 15 years. And this year she's published her very first book in conjunction with Turner Classic Movies. Dedicated to literary adaptations, focused on 52 feature films and the works that inspired them. This cheerily written release entitled But Have You Read the Book is now available everywhere. And you should definitely check it out because it's a lot of fun. Kristen, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing? And how has this year been treating you so far?
1: I'm always happy to be back on on the show. So thank you so much, first off. Uh you know, the year's been weird. If you had told me at the end of last year that I would be uh, getting an entirely new job and uh, that I would be doing all this to promote this book, I would not have believed you, um, which is shocking because I think I said that when they first asked me
0: to like write a book. So it's yeah. uh, it's been a lot in a very short amount of time. Well, congratulations on the book. You said um, you were approached first. How did that happen? Holly, at my, my former workplace, who'd written two books for TCM. And I
1: assumed... That you know, TCM uh, had massive requirements for whoever they use as an author. I mean, I fe- I assume that you had to have written multiple books, and you know that they were like the 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 you know high apotheosis of like you needed to prove that you could definitely do this. And my coworker said, you know, do you want to meet the the person who runs the publishing team? And I was like, okay. Um, And I did the great John Malahy, He's fantastic, and we talked for, you know, about an hour about a lot of different things, none of which was this. Um, And they eventually called me from TCM Publishing and they said, you know, we have some ideas for books that have already sold and we're looking for an author. And we noticed that you have a master's degree in English. So do you read a lot? That was (laughs) hilarious twofold because, yes, I I do read a lot. And B, this was probably the only time anybody has referenced my master's degree uh, at all since I obtained it. So it finally paid off. Um, And I said, you know, yes. And they start talking about this idea about film adaptations. And as soon as they said that, I was already on board because I'm a person that is incredibly impatient. So, you know, as soon as like somebody I love gets cast in a movie, I go and I buy the book and I read it because I can't wait two years or a year, however long it takes for this movie to come out. I need to know what happens. I need to know what how invested I need to be in this. Like, I I like to spoil myself well ahead of time. So as soon as they said that, you know, I was, I was on board. And it was, so it was a perfect union of an idea that they had, and a topic that I was already heavily into.
0: Yeah, and this all happened when you were the TV editor at IndieWire. And I was going to ask you, you know, how many years has this been in the works and what was that like to have to juggle your day job with reading 52 books, plus all the other additional research materials I'm sure you picked up that are all over the bibliography?
1: It, it, it came about really quickly in, you know, end of 2020 into 2021. So I had already been, you know, working at IndieWire for, for a minute And the pandemic had happened relatively quickly into the whole thing. Um, And they, they had this idea and I tell everybody, you know, that the only silver lining to a pandemic was that I had no social life. Um, So it wasn't like I was going a lot of places in 2021 things were kind of, we were learning how to mitigate and and do things by that point. Um, But it was still very, very minor. Um, You know, and so I, I had kind of given myself a really strict schedule because From the time that we signed the contract and started, you know, I had about eight months beginning to end, um, which is very, very short to read
0: 52 books. Um, I was going to say, my goodness. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I gave myself a really rigid schedule. I prioritized books that I had not read at at all. You know, I had a list that was like books and movies I've never experienced, you know, books that I haven't read, but movies that I've seen, Uh, books that I've read and movies that I've seen, you know. So I kind of prioritized that. And, and made sure that I definitely focused on the stuff that I had never seen and never read. Uh, so that was, uh, so every week I would start wa- by watching the movie and then I would cut the book up into sections and make sure that I read. Uh, and at the end of the week I would write the the chapter and then start it all over again on Sunday. Um, And so, and, and with my day job, you know, it was a lot of doing it in the morning or in the evening and on the weekends. Uh, and the last like, Week of of writing, I have just holed up at the uh, Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel uh, in LA. I usually do like a Christmas treat to myself, and I, I hang out there and I finish the book there, kind of Jack Torrance style, uh, just hold up. So it was it was a really you know perfect time to kind of get to be enmeshed in reading because I didn't have a lot going on, um, you know. So and as far as the research process, you know TCM had some requirements for things that they definitely wanted to include dune was was their big film um at the time and the so Lord that was Brother. a requirement yeah that they they definitely wanted to include and we both agreed that you know there needed to be diversity of eras diversity of genres diversity of authors directors make sure yeah. that you have people of color women uh you know all all these different elements um so and it required me to not just have read the book and seen the movie but you know trying to find something interesting to say in in a chapter you know i would kind of do deep dives and like what were the critics saying at the time mm-hmm. what's been written um so it was really great to kind of try to craft an arc uh in each for each book and movie you know something that was worth worth discussing about each of them
0: yeah absolutely i enjoyed i had not finished the book yet but i've been no judgment all of what i've read so far and it just uh the amount of work i mean kudos to you. I can't even imagine. I wanted to know, you talked about all of this research and doing these back-to-back week in, week out, you're going to start noticing patterns of adaptations and the way things have changed over the years. So did you make any discoveries that kind of surprised you or, you know, stood out?
1: Yeah, I was really, I knew that each studio in the studio system had a person whose job was to read all of the popular books of the day and bring uh you know write up about every book about whether it was perceived as filmable um and what i noticed was how quickly in certain instances a movie could be could capitalize on the book's success the studio system you know since movies were being made on a far smaller budget a far smaller scale in certain instances you know gone with the wind comes out and you know a couple years later you you get the movie you know uh you could publish a book you know i think uh what is it to kill a mockingbird was written in like 61 movie comes out in 62 or i think the harper movie yeah. might have been it might have been 1960 so you still have a very small truncated window because mm-hmm. you could make a movie while a book was still popular nowadays because you have a producer deciding what to make they got to get a director they got to get the actors they have to get special effects you got to get the budget script approval it can take you know 5 10 years sometimes to adapt a popular book so book doesn't isn't as popular by the time it gets to the screen um and i think the other thing i noticed too was just the, the fact that more people were reading during the studio system because yes. we didn't have tv you didn't have social media a book could really saturate the landscape in a really short amount of time and somebody asked me recently you know what was the last time i thought that a book had that sort of cultural like saturation. And I think the, the last time I remember is, you know, the the uh, YA boom of the 2010s, you know, you didn't have to read Harry Potter yeah. to know who Harry Potter was and Hogwarts. You didn't have to read The Hunger Games to know about what the Hunger Games were and who Katniss mm-hmm. Everdeen is. You don't get that a lot, you know, at this point, Um, something like Gone with the Wind was a cultural juggernaut that influenced all of these other books and these imitators and everybody knew Scarlett O'Hara. I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily think books transcend because there's so much content now, you know, and everything kind of gets lost in the void of of stuff at this point
0: exactly and so many things are turned into these prestige series they're always eight episodes long like eight is the magic number or ten and sometimes you know they don't need to be that long But a lot of these books and these book clubs, I'm a member of book of the month. You know, there's Reese Witherspoon's book club and Oprah had a book club. You know, a lot of these titles, especially women's titles, are kind of um, pushed into the streaming market or the television market instead of films nowadays. And so I thought this was a really interesting look back at, yes, we used to read and we used to value these properties and turn them into films, which is really interesting. And I think coming from your background where you worked in television. Um, at least for your coverage and then film this would have been a perfect uh, marriage with that master's degree of English and and I'm glad that paid off for sure yes humanity (laughs) my
1: mother was very happy when it uh when somebody reiterated she's like see you'll you'll thank
0: me I knew you'd thank me later for telling you to just go right into it Oh, that's wonderful. And you recently had your book launch. Uh, and it was also at the festival. It's been at the Academy Museum, I think I heard and so the book is kind of taking off all in the same month. How were all of these events and the festival and what was all that like? Very weird. Very, very
1: weird. Um, You know, up until recently, I, you know, I go to events with an eye towards like this. I just don't want to get COVID. Like, that's my thing nowadays. I'm like, you know, and, and to be at the festival and have people, you know, kind of put a book in front of me and expect me to sign it or, you know, ask to like take my picture, you know, it's very weird, especially, you know, somebody that writes about, you know, celebrity and film and television to be on the other side of it is yeah. is very bizarre. Um, you know, I always tell people like, I might I don't think I'm cool enough for that to be the case. Um, but it was it was great. You know, uh, I I definitely have plans next year if not so subtly told TCM like next year I'm around to do more, you know, if you want to let me like introduce something, uh I I have my I have a list of ideas prepped from the book. Uh so fingers crossed that uh it's not just a one and done thing. <laughs>
0: Yes, I was going to ask you about that, because uh, I can't remember if it was online or in uh, another interview where you were kind of teasing maybe the second book, Oh, I think in your intro to, to this book, you were saying, you know, I couldn't do all the films. And so maybe book two. So would you want to explore this topic? Or do you have other topics kind of percolating?
1: I mean, I I have a lot of other ideas, you know, because I talk a lot. I mean, I contain multitudes, you know, I'm fascinated by so many different things that there's there's a couple of different things in the works that are way too early to talk about, you know, as far as like a sequel, everybody asks me like, oh, what would you include in a sequel? And I think just in the last like six months, I mean, there's plenty to include. I mean, this weekend alone, we have already There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which is a seminal book. Uh, that took, you know, decades to get to the screen. So I, I definitely I every time that there's an adaptation, like I keep it, keep it in the back of my mind, like that would be a great idea for for book two. Uh, you <laughs> know, I, I tell people now that I've written it, you know, and I they tell you not to read the reviews, which I don't, but I do look kind of like vaguely, like I'll scroll through comments. And you know, a couple people have said, like, there's not enough opinion. Like, I don't know whether she likes the movie or the book better, which is intentional. I you know, I Yeah, you're being yeah, completely. I didn't objective. want people to not read the book. The title is called But Have You Read the Book. So I I very deliberately did not pick books that I don't like which I could have because there are some some movies that I think are better than the book um but I didn't pick pick those um and I also didn't you know want to include too much of my own you know opinion just in case you know somebody might be turned off from wanting to read it but you know I told I told my book publisher people I'm like you know well if this is a you know success and we do a second one I don't know I might get a little you know I might get a little more opinionated or I might just pick like Utterly random movies uh and adaptations that nobody cares about, but me. Just so that, they, like, they're back little, in the little yeah. taste of my thought process.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good idea. I was going to ask you, what are some of your favorite adaptations of all time?
1: Oh my gosh, I mean, Wuthering Heights is up there. It's the book that made the original? me love books. The original, yeah, okay. yeah, the, it's the book I... that made me love books, and the nineteen thirties version. Um, it's not the book, but it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. And it's so fantastic um, that it's just, it's perfect. Um, mm-hmm. I, I didn't put one of the, one of the things I lovingly got told when I sent them my short list was I had too many crime dramas uh, and mystery books in in the list. They're like, you can't do Dennis Lane's entire filmography. <laughs> um, so, but, but I really wish that I could have included, you know, I love Mystic River, um, oh I think my that goodness!
0: One of the masterpieces.
1: Yes, one of the best. And and Clint Eastwood makes really deliberate choices in the book or in the film. Some that I agree with, some that I don't. Um, but I the think they're a good character. Yes. Yes, the Kevin so Bacon much character. much stronger. Um, you know the fact that I think they they emp- that he tries to kind of sympathize and downplay Sean yeah, Penn's yeah. like villainy. Like the book version of Sean Penn's character is far more like just cold uh especially towards the end uh in the book um Gone Baby Gone is another one too that I almost wanted to include um the book is fantastic it's so good the ending though is completely different Mm -hmm. um it's a bit more like if you've seen the movie the movie ends on a bit of an ambiguous like did he make the right decision Note the film pretty much says like in some instances it been it's it's good like you know Mm -hmm. like we should have just done the way things were um and then the other one that i always throw out the movie did not do well the book is uh not necessarily considered a classic but i love Don Winslow's savages um that they adapted in 2012 oh yeah like lively Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's such an intense just really fun read it's very quick it's written in um like uh, poetry style so it's very short you know mm-hmm. very br- brisk writing. Um, it's so dark and it's got a lot of like subtle humor. It's it's great. The movie is about 90% there. I tell people if they want to see a really great adaptation you turn it off at the first ending. Do not watch <laughs> the second <laughs> ending which was studio mandated Um, and it's not uh, I've been fortunate to kind of lovingly rib Don Winslow and been like why did you at that happy ending he's like that was not me that was Oliver Stone I'm like wow uh but those are some of those are some of my favorites uh you know that are just really I think great examples of like how you can translate very different genres
0: yeah no and I love that you chose those because I think the obvious choices people would have immediately gone for are like The Godfather and um jaws and and those kind of films um and they're seminal classics so i do love that you chose um some surprises there i think uh mystic river was an incident where i finished the book it was like i was very excited to see the film and i was reading it and i always would go to the movies on halloween and so it was like halloween and i finished it kind of in the theater i was there too early and so i I watched and read it like way too close together i still love the movie of course but Part of me was just aching for the the Kevin Bacon character from the book to be translated on the screen. But I mean, what a brilliant adaptation. I also really um enjoyed It Is Different Than the Book, of course, All the Pretty Horses. And I loved your section on uh, No Country for Old Men. So you could do a yeah. whole Cormac McCarthy thing. I mean, Blood Meridian, they always yeah. say that we're going to be making it, but allegedly they're going to make it again. So That would be exciting, too. You could get back in your mystery thriller roots there.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I I mean, Cormac McCarthy is one of those, like, you have to pick really specific choices because I think they've only adapted two so far. The the, No Country and The Road, um, which The Road is also very, like, dark and cynical, Um, you know. And and No Country is a really great example of how an adaptation can be almost literal, because the novel is about, you know, 90% verbatim what is in the film, but the tone is different. You know, McCarthy's tone is far more nihilist and political and angry. And, you know, some of you can read that coin toss scene in the book, and it's hard to read it without thinking of the version that is in the film and getting those moments of levity um but the way mccarthy is presenting it is far more dour and far more scary um so it's a great example of how a director and a screenwriter can take that text and actually lift it and do nothing different with the dialogue but create all of these different things that change the tone and the intent compared to what you're reading
0: Yes. And what an actor can bring to a certain line read like Inherent Vikes is another option because that is so much the novel. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I was bringing you on, I said we should probably talk about a couple adaptations. And you mentioned not really choosing books that you disliked. But I mean, to have and have not is not one of uh, Hemingway's best. I mean, we say that lovingly, it's Hemingway's brilliant writer. But um, talk to me about this adaptation and your thoughts. Yeah, so To Have and Have Not uh, was the the last book that
1: I had to read. (laughs) It's literally (laughs) the last one. And I started to read it and I got about 10 pages in. And I was like, "Oh no, this is <laughs> unrepentantly racist." Oh yeah, I'm talking like racial slurs are just being thrown all over the place. Um, and I, I texted my editor, and I was like, "I don't know if I feel comfortable endorsing this book as like one anybody should read." And he was like, "Well." you know, you could always pick a different Hemingway. You know, you could do mm-hmm. like For Whom the Bell Tolls or Farewell to Arms or, you know. Uh, yeah. And I was Sun like, can we just-
0: Also Rises,
1: yeah. Sun Also Rises. I was like, can we do like Old Man in the Sea? Because that was short. Oh, He's yes. Like, like, no, it's a novella. It doesn't count. Okay. Uh, and at that point I was, I'm like, it's the last one. I've already watched <laughs> the movie. I feel like come too far. Uh, so I just decided it's the one time that I was like, you know what, let's make the arc about how- everyone knew it's a terrible book you know howard hawks knew it was awful he got drunk with with ernest hemingway one one day and said that he could make a great adaptation out of one of hemingway's worst books
0: and Hemingway said
1: sure Um, on their
0: fishing trip like that was day one like i can do this
1: yeah yeah and what ended up happening is hawks and hemingway ended up having a falling out never spoke to each other again because hawks Pitched it to so many different studios who would kind of look at it and try to develop it and then say, "Eh, no, we're not interested. He made more money off of pitching the book than Hemingway got selling him the rights to it, um, which really irked Hemingway.
0: Yeah, I read they didn't speak for three months because yeah. uh Hawks like got 10 times more yeah. money. And, uh, you know, and it's one of the only times I think I read or maybe the only time that we had two Nobel winners of literature working on it, not at the same time or in the same room. God, that would have been cool or be a fly on that wall. We had um Hemingway and then also Faulkner, who yeah. was the one that ended up adapting it. But also, I mean, it's a lot of Hawks. It's also a lot of Hawks' wife, from what I yeah. understand. Uh, yeah.
1: It's it's very much a Casablanca ripoff.
0: It is um, yes. you know, uh which, which was
1: intentional, you know. The studio was like, um, you know, we we want to do something that's a follow-up to, to Casablanca. They changed it to like French Martinique, is where it takes place. And um, what's funny is I I saw Rio Bravo this uh at the TSAM Film Festival and i would never seen it before. And oh, I, I started watching movie. it and I was I was like this is just a have and have not only with, with in the West, you know, because especially the dynamic between Angie Dickinson and John Wayne in that movie. There's even a moment where they have a kissing scene and she responds very similarly to Lauren Bacall's response and to have and have not. But the, it's better when you help line,
0: um, which I was just like. Hawks is just retreading his own stuff at this point he did that all the time it's so funny (laughs) isn't it because like even um in Only Angels Have Wings like Mm -hmm. Dean Arthur says you know I'm hard to get all I have to do is ask and then a few years later Lauren McCall says the same thing and yeah I mean that's one thing I love about Hawks he like straight up remained Rio Bravo as El Dorado too I mean it's the same thing. And, uh, exactly, yeah. you gotta love a director that is totally okay <laughs>
1: resting on their laurels. Um, yeah, yeah, but but I think what what I mean to have and have not is is fun. You know, again, it's a Casablanca ripoff more I think than a Hemingway adaptation. For me, the best version of hem- of the book is the Breaking Point, which oh, they did I love in 1950. It. John Garfield is fantastic, and I'm not saying that because I love him so much. I know, um, but I everybody think does. Everybody <laughs> should, uh, yes. but I think that it's also a nice, sly little like fu to Hemingway that movie because the main character in that movie, next to John Garfield, is Juan Hernandez, yeah. who plays Garfield's right hand man. And when his character, it's not a spoiler. The movie is old; you should have seen it already. When yeah. the character dies, very. Very abruptly, very rudely, you're, like, yep. traumatized. And the ending especially is not about Garfield, it's about his character. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to think that that's their sly little, like, your book is ridiculously racist. So we're <laughs> going to kind of retcon it and uh make it less racist by making the main character a man of color.
0: yeah. No, and as far as, you know, this was the first movie with Bogey and Bacall. She was 19, yeah. fell in love with, uh, you know, Bogart. He was married and 45 years old at the time, and everyone knows the story. Um, But, you know, they made four films together. Yeah. What is your favorite of the Bogey Bacalls?
1: I like the other adaptation of theirs, uh, The Big Sleep. Yes. I think that movie is Fantastic. Martha Vickers is so fantastic in that allegedly she was too good. And more the call had her, her part reduced. Um, what I think is funny though, is that it's based on uh, Raymond Chandler novel of the yeah. same name, which they had to already kind of heavily change. It involves like pornography and a lot of illicit sex, but there was a point where, Famously, in the movie, they had to figure out who murdered one of the characters and they went no to Chandler. Yeah. And Chandler was like, hell if I know, you know, I, I, know. Just, I wrote the thing, um, which I think is funny. You know, a lot of authors tried their hand screenwriting, you know, Fitzgerald, mm-hmm. very famously. Um, Dashiell Hammett, I think, made it through like one thin man and, yep. uh, you know, couldn't couldn't hack it and couldn't write another thin man after that. You know, the most people assume the series is a series of books. It's not, it's one book uh, and he, he never, he never touched the characters again. uh, But, but I think that it's, it's interesting to look at the success stories in that regard. I mean, the most successful, I think, screenwriter slash authors, you know, work with strong directors, you know, uh, Mario Puzo working with Coppola on The Godfather, Nick Pelagi working with Scorsese on Goodfellas, you Mm -hmm. know, because you have a person that knows the filmic intent versus the person that knows the text. Sometimes if you're too close to a text, you know, you just, you can't figure out what works on the page versus what works on a screen.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or Jay Cox, who was a time critic, you know, working with Scorsese on the adaptation of Age of Innocence, which is in my head because we're recording this on Michelle Pfeiffer and Daniel Day-Lewis's birthday. Yes, exactly. And um, next film that I suggested we discuss is... A masterpiece, I think. I mean, everyone says it's synonymous with Gregory Peck and it's, you know, Harper Lee's beloved novel. So let's talk about uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, Mockingbird. It came out relatively quickly after yeah.
1: the the book was published, and what I was surprised by. I haven't read To Kill a Mockingbird since middle school you know yeah. high school um I had not revisited it and I'd seen the movie you know and I remember really appreciating the movie but to watch the movie and reread the book so close together I realized how much of Harper Lee's text really is kind of a slice of life type of it story mm-hmm. it it tells a lot of different different things in Scout's life Hortonfoot knew that he had to condense that and tell one story so the the um, Tom Robinson trial becomes the, big, the central, yeah, the central thing. But to read the book, you know, Harper, Harper Lee based a lot of Atticus Finch on her own father. Yeah, uh, a lot of the the Robinson trial on various, you know, black men that had been accused. It, mm-hmm. Um, but what I was struck by is how she writes about what we now commonly know as white privilege. You know, there's oh, a yes. scene. Mm-hmm. There's a scene in the book where Calpurnia, who is a far bigger presence in the book than she does in the film. So much
0: more complex. She has a family, everything. Yeah.
1: Yeah. She does. And and I was really surprised by that because the film is so often considered this landmark for mm. racism and ta- looking at racial injustice and yet the character that actually is a black woman is so marginalized within the the film. But in the book she takes Scout and Jem to church. Yes. And there's a sequence where Jem um, starts to get nervous about the group of predominantly black people converging on her and Jem. And, you know, you read that today, and you're like, she's exhibiting white privilege and racial bias. And we're talking about this in 1960. You know, the character, you know, Jem is or Scout is learning about racism and is also not immune from that, you know, whereas the film kind of presents her as this innocent babe in the woods who has not been molded yet to experience racism. Um, You know, I think that that famous scene of her talking to Atticus and asking him about the N-word, you know, to read it in the book with all that has happened, you're like, you question it more, you question her motivations, and you question, you know, how much of what what she ex- is experiencing is now, you know, a lot of the racial bias that we're seeing. So it's really, really fascinating. And there's also a heavy emphasis on women in Scout's life. You know, so much of the book is about Scout yes, realizing her place in society. Lady, everything. Yeah, you get you get Calpurnia, you get Miss Maudie Atkins, who is I kind know. of the female foil to Atticus Finch. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of different things that... You know, we're really surprising that I hadn't realized the book just kind of threw or the film just kind of threw out. Um, so not that I want a mini series where we sh- see all this, no. um, you know, but I know that when Ghost Set a Watchman came out, which was based on Harper Lee's like unpublished mm-hmm. uh, early ideas for Mockingbird, you know, talked about Atticus Finch maybe being a racist. I was like, if you read the book though, that what to kill a Mockingbird ended up being, you know. Je- Scout is not a you know racist in the common definition of how no. we would define that, but she still exhibits a lot of racist ideology in some instances. Uh, which I think the book treats honestly and openly. Uh, yeah, so it was great it's to get to the environment. It and, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I was really happy that I got to reread and notice, like, oh, the movie has its own agenda. You know, it's and I think that that's a common thing for 60s cinema in America at the time. You know. I love Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, but it's, uh, I, you know, it's very much Beach for fire. them sitters. Yes, It's very much for people that were already kind of like, I support this already and just needed a push. And I think that for as fantastic as To Kill a Mockingbird is, the film, mm-hmm. it kind of plays, it's preaching to a choir that already believes in what it's saying. Um, whereas I think the book is more open to being like, if you think this is yes yeah let's discuss it if you how how, why if you're thinking that scout is this way why is that
0: you know what does that
1: say about you the reader which is fascinating
0: yeah and there's so much to that because um the, the young boy in the book is based on her best friend uh Truman Capote his Aunt has a little bit of a bigger role in the book as well. So there's a lot there. And when you said you're not asking for a miniseries, no, we don't want to give Hollywood ideas. But you can yes. see somebody like a Todd Haynes who tackled Mildred Pierce um, very lovingly, and you know, to show the different shades that weren't in the classic movie uh, in that miniseries. Somebody like that, you know, we could maybe trust, um, you know, or like a small act situation where we have all sides and it's very interesting, and we get to see all and explore all of these characters and facets would be interesting. But I think it's really good to um, read that book and compare it. And I think um, that makes it much more powerful. I know I was reading, actually, uh, Roger Ebert was calling out the movie at the time as being like a white savior film. And, you know, where are the Black people? This is the South. And so there were some critics pushing back on that. Pauline kale famously. Of course, Pauline kale likes to push back on Always. Everything yes anything she's going to push back on it And you talked about horton foot and i think um i really loved his adaptation of of mice and men that he did for director and star gary sinise because he kind of made the female character in that one uh the steinbeck um much more uh, like we can understand her a little more she isn't just a temptress or something and so i appreciated that so i think horton foot being a playwright definitely uh could figure out what to pare down but also respect the source material yeah
1: exactly yeah
0: yeah And then um, another one of my, actually, I think it is my favorite book of all time is The Great Gatsby. And so I was going to ask you, um, how did you choose? Was it because you were looking for more modern adaptations to go with this one versus the, you know, god awful version in the 70s with uh, Redford and Mia Farrow? Or how did you select it?
1: Yeah, So I had originally sent them a short list that stopped at Jurassic Park. And (laughs) they said, Kristen adaptations didn't stop in 95 just because tcm is classic like you need to include contemporary (laughs) stuff so i was like fine um and i i was definitely looking back at like great examples of you know great american literature like what haven't i talked about and i think that the the um robert redford version is not nearly as well remembered uh as the the Lerman one just because of time and excess and all that i've as much of an antipathy towards the Redford one as most people do. I okay. think it's, I think it's a very dry version it of is. the book. Yeah, it's um, very stale. <laughs> it's very stale, but I think Redford doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, yes. Think, was kind
0: of miscast. Yeah.
1: Well, I think most of the Daisy Buchanan's are fairly miscast. Um, <laughs> I have not seen the Al- the um the Alan Ladd version that I think is um from the 40s, which is very rarely screened. Um. So I, I put the Lerman on there because I know that a lot of people tend to have opinions uh about that one. I personally think that much like the uh, the 70s version, um, I have issues with the casting. Yeah. Uh. You know, I I think that. Toby Maguire is very, very, he's much like Sam Watterson. You know, Nick Carraway is not supposed to be a very colorful character. He is the guy who no. which we see everything. Um, I think that Lerman's excess ends up obscuring a lot of what makes the book memorable, even though I love the soundtrack. Um, there's a couple moments that I thought were just a little weird on racism in the in the film. Um, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Um you know, I, I think he just smothers it with so much and cheese that it ends up obscuring. Exoticism, and, yeah. Exactly. Kind of um, but, I mean, to to the point, I think what makes it fascinating is, is that Gatsby always seems to be a character that Hollywood understands implicitly who you cast. You pick the biggest, grandest example of <laughs> a movie star. Yeah. And in the 1970s, you couldn't have found a better example of a golden boy than Robert Redford. In 2013, it was still Leonardo DiCaprio, who in many ways is very Gatsby-like. Like, Like, we don't know anything about what he does in his free time that is not invented by him. Like, he he controls the narrative much like Jay Gatsby himself does. So there's a really, really cool, like, art imitating life, imitating art type of thing to his casting. Um, And I think the movie definitely tries to do... What Greta Gerwig does better, which is like, if you've seen the, the Lerman version of Gatsby, it ends with Nick drying out in the sanitarium in the film, which is not in the book. Um, and he's yeah, essentially telling... Yeah, I was not telling, a fan of that. Yeah. He's telling very story. Moulin story. Like, it's very Moulin Rouge. Yeah. He's telling the story and, you know, is writing this diary and it's called The Great Gatsby. I think yes. like at one point he crosses out, like he adds great in there. Um, And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Like Nick Carraway is not nearly as dynamic of a character to conceive of writing all this out. And it makes you question like how much of this is true. I don't think Nick Carraway as a character is that inventive. Gerwig does that whole concept of like, let's look at the creation of this text far better with little women, um, which would come out, you know, a couple years later, um, which also ends with uh, the main character, Joe Marge, crafting this story called little women um but i think in that case it works better because she's i think using that more to critique the legacy that is little women and how much of this is like representing this model of femininity that we no longer need um lerman i think just uses it more as like an out a way a cool way to end the story that again is like (laughs) mulanderous
0: a little bit yeah i am not the greatest uh fan of lerman i appreciate what he does i think you know moulin rouge is my favorite one but for lerman i I think the guy has trouble with beginnings too that's like his big achilles heel is how do we get into the story And sometimes it's so excessive and so much that we lose the emotional connection. I think overall it is a strong adaptation. I'm somebody who loves the book so much. I used to read it like all the time. So, um, you know, I'm going to be a little bit harder on it. But I think by the time I saw it in 2013, I hadn't read it in in a little bit. So I was probably a little bit of a better audience for it. When you talk about Nick Carraway, did you ever see the cable movie version of this with Paul Rudd in Carraway's role? No.
1: Oh, I actually He's really good. like
0: that concept. Yeah, he was really good. Mirror Sorvino as Daisy Buchanan. Well, that's weird. And um, yeah, I don't know if that one was like the best cast. I think it's on YouTube. But I <laughs> thought Paul this. Rudd, as far as all the Nick Caraways go, like you can see Rudd. That yeah. I remember. That's the thing I remember about that uh, TV movie and thinking, boy, that was a good choice. And so I think, you know, something like that. I also thought, as much as I love Joel Edgerton and other films, I thought he was kind of... Um, it, it didn't really work. We needed an even greater contrast, I think, between him and and the Jay Gatsby character. I'm glad you brought up the Gerwig Little Women adaptation. I'm someone who a bit older than Kristen, so I think my, you know... I remember going to the theater and reading the book, kind of like your stories of doing that ahead of time, too. I am someone who loves the Gillian Armstrong version. That one's mine. That one's mine. Yeah, that's my favorite. Yes. But I did really appreciate the changes that Gerwig made and the way it looks like, you know, Joseph Singer Sargent painting at times. And yeah, so that was a really good adaptation the last few years. What have been some of your favorite recent adaptations besides the Gerwig?
1: Oh, gosh. I, you know, I was telling people about some of the things that, you know, we could include in in a volume two. And, you know, what are some good recent adaptations? I think Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret is, is definitely a great adaptation of that book. Um, the probably couldn't have been done even, you know, a decade ago, uh, you know, in terms of just like, being open and frank about like, all of the topics that that book is open to. Um, I love the agatha christie uh kenneth branagh adaptation of <laughs> death on the nile um which I, I, I yeah exactly not a popular choice i think that i remember going to see that movie and being like you know i remember being very met on um murder on the orient express and just being yeah. like that's fine uh and the minute that that movie starts by giving us backstory on paro's mustache and then
0: segues. I loved the backstory, didn't you? Yeah. 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 I was like, why do we need backstory
1: on how he got his mustache? Didn't ask for it. And then it segues into this like hot, horny, sweaty, like dance (laughs) sequence. There's Gal Gadot, like trying to seduce Army Hammer on a Sphinx. It is just the weirdest, like (laughs) attempt at being sexy. And I was like, I didn't ask for this version of Agatha Christie, but I am ridiculously fascinated and interested in it. I think it's just, and now now he's doing like complete 360 with the next one, Haunting in Venice, which is looking like some sort of like dark chamber ghost story. Um, I I love that Branagh's keeping me on my toes. Um, You know, another adaptation I really liked was Bullet Train. I'm biased uh, because I love me some ATJ, um, but... Uh, to read the book, the book is, you know, it's very, very Japanese. It's very slow, very contemplative, uh-huh. um, you know, spends a lot of time looking at like character motivation and superstition and um, all of that, which the movie just it decides like we're, we're doing, we're living up to the title. It's just a, a big, dumb action movie, but it does have a really like inventive running through line in the book that is not in the film uh, regarding how everybody dies that I still think is very funny. Um, So, so yeah, those are, those are some of the
0: more recent ones where I'm like, those, these are worth discussing in some way. They're doing it right. Yeah. And as far as um, some of your favorite books that have not been adapted yet that you think would be excellent films, do you have like a little wish list?
1: Oh, gosh. I mean, I definitely, uh, you know, to go back to Dennis Lehane, uh, I keep saying, you know, Gone Baby Gone uh, adapted the Kenzie Gennaro series, that there's a series yeah. of books. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think and as much as Gone Baby Gone is like a nice way in, the best, ver- the best book is actually book two in that series. Gone Baby Gone is book three, but it's called Darkness Take My Hand and it is just bleak as hell. Uh, it's got like an intense finale that I can just see in my head as being very cinematic. Like you need like almost like a Scorsese, you know, or uh, type of character um, that can, or, you know, like a, I don't want Nick Pizzolatto to deal with it, but like somebody like <laughs> him without all the baggage, you know, to handle yeah. it um i am kind of shocked i know apple was talking about developing a series based on the characters and that didn't happen um so i would love somebody to just adapt that that one just that one book um a lot of matt ruff's books i think are really good he uh was the person that had wrote the book that became lovecraft country um Mm -hmm. and he has a lot of really bizarre books that have fantastic plots i have no idea how they would be adapted he has a one book called set this house in order it's about a guy with multiple personalities and before you say it, it sounds like split note is way better than split um okay good. but it's a very interesting like look at identity and and family and personality that's really good he also did another one about um, characters living in like um like a sims like av world um ah. that is also very great uh and they're really good stories that like have a gimmick to them so I think those would be fantastic. Like if somebody has some money uh, and wants to find a way to adapt those, they're they're definitely fantastic stories first uh, and also have really interesting ways into the narrative.
0: That sounds great. Well, Kristen, I want to thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciated talking to you and yeah, this was a real treat and congratulations again on the book. I'm so proud and I was so excited to hear that it was coming out and then to finally get it in my hands. So I want to thank you.
1: Anytime. I know we've been talking about doing this for a while. So anytime you think that I am cool enough to have on,
0: uh, I I don't take it lightly. (laughs) Thank you. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment, film rentals,